Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome, all you thrill-seekers, conversationalists, and intellectuals to the Omega Particle Podcast. I'm your doctor of dilithium, your exclusive anchorman of the Federation, sitting behind the golden OPP microphone. And today, boy, we are covering Picard's fourth episode. In this season, it is called No Win Scenario. And as we left last week, it certainly looked like it was a hopeless scenario Overall, I mean, the reviews have been really wonderful and kind to this episode of Picard, mostly giving it, you know, nines out of tens, four out of fives. This season is going on super strong, probably the best new Trek that I've seen since, you know, this whole, I quote unquote, bronze age of Star Trek, you know, has happened. So I'm really encouraged by the strength so far of these first four episodes. But what do you think? Like, do you agree with the universal love, the reviewers and podcasters have been saying i mean are you a little bit more skeptical do you not like it well you can call or text us at the podcast that number is 254-677-8735 and make your thoughts known and maybe we'll include it on the podcast we've got a few uh some of them were laced with profanity that we can't put on but we appreciate the passion for uh your love of this new uh picard so um we're really excited about that and thank you for those who have submitted so before we get into it, we have two kind of stories i want to talk about the first do you know that there's like this party thing going on called borgs where teenagers and like college party or frat guys walk around with a gallon of alcohol and they call it borgs which stand for blackout rage gallon so they have ruined the borg for me because <laughs> every time i think of the borg i'm gonna think blackout rage gallon so thank you uh all the chads and fraternity brothers out there also did you guys hear that robert beltran yes we you know the beloved guy that plays Jacote. he actually turned down a picard appearance you know with season three of picard ramped up you know kind of all the legacy characters on the show in a big way, like warp drive compared to the other two seasons. A fan actually was on Twitter and he reached out to Beltran and was like, hey, like, why aren't you included in season three? And Robert Beltran actually tweeted him back and said, hey, I was offered an episode in Picard, but I simply didn't like what they had written for Chakotay, so I turned him down. He's like, I'm not going to go into detail, but I have no animosity toward the Picard producers at all, and that Star Trek Prodigy offers Chakotay like a role that I'm very enthusiastic about. And if you didn't know, Chakotay is in Prodigy. So many P names with Star Trek shows. Anyway, so he is in Prodigy. And um, out of curiosity, there's a website called Trek Movie. They reached out to showrunner Terry um, Milatis and to see if there's any details, you know, behind the story. And he said, yeah, do you know the season two arc where we have Picard being like this dictator and Seven, who is in charge of the Confederation, not Federation, Confederation, he was going to be Seven's uh, husband. 
and he was going to have a couple lines and it was going to be a tie-in. So it would be a cool Voyager Easter egg, but Chakotay didn't want to play fascist. So I don't blame Robert Beltrain on that one. <laughs> but anyway, all right, Luna, let's get into the review of No Win Scenario. Let's roll. So this latest episode of Picard delivers to me a viewing experience that's very reminiscent of those classic Next Generation episodes, you know, because the plot underscores really the importance of teamwork and cooperation, and plus there's a motivational speech in there, you know. I mean, it's it's very textbook for Star Trek, and I absolutely love that. Totally okay with them kind of using that mold again here in Picard, and Plus, we saw a lot of powerful emotional moments in this episode um, that really kind of make it stand out, not only in this incredible season, but in the overall Picard series as well. I mean, we had so many questions that were answered this episode, and I love that. Finally getting some resolution. It's not going to be like Lost. We're going to get some answers here. And to me, it also, especially near the end, it really serves as like a reminder, you know, the franchise, Star Trek, is really about exploring the vastness and extraordinary potential of the universe. You know, seeing those cool moments like with the space quid and and Scresher emotionally delivering the line to seek out new life. I mean, that's really what it was about. I mean, even the ties back to the very first couple episodes of TNG and the Farpoint station and the giant space squids there. So I love that tie back. And we see again... Keeping with that classic Star Trek mold, we have very high stakes and kind of an unsolvable problem, and then a stunning revelation about the primary antagonist of the season. And then there's several, again, several emotional conversations between the characters and they, how they reflect on their time in Starfleet. I mean, it has all the elements of a classic TNG episode. And to me, that's when the episode really shines. That's when the episode really goes into another gear is when the stakes are at the highest. So I was really impressed so far this year. I can't, I don't know if you could doubt, <laughs> but I just think it's kind of funny that we have to play this game. You know, like we can all admit that we know the main core legacy characters, they're, they're going to be okay, right? I mean, I don't really expect any buddy to be killed off or anything this isn't the walking dead from about 10 years ago of course you know the whole impending death by gravity well thing is to me you know the least interesting part of the entire hour possibly because we know like i just said the threat only goes so far but i will say this i always like to do this when watching new episodes of trek is to figure out what the problem could be and how they're going to solve it you know and the fact that they decided to ride the wave of the birth pains out of the gravity well, I, I think it's very creative. And I think that was very classic Trekkie for them to come up with something in the, in the midnight hour and um, totally pull it out of their butt. So I, I was totally okay with how they escaped the nebula. I've, I've heard some people didn't like that, but they can just be quiet because I thought it was great. 
I mean, it, it was definitely intense. And, you know, Picard sits back in the chair and delivers the great engage. And he's directing the ship and he's trusting his son now, which we'll get into their emotional moment, how they got there. And, and it, to me, it's just awesome. Again, because we see Riker throw a freaking asteroid at Vatic and her strike, which probably destroyed the ship more than likely. And so it's just classic Riker again. So again, these characters melt right into their old selves and we just ah it was just how could you not love the heck out of this i'm just just to be honest if you are a next generation fan how could you just not love the heck out of this season three i just love it so i mean especially the encounter farpoint shout out i mean it ties back directly to the first two episodes in the entire tng series so very very impressed i absolutely am giddy also did anyone notice that like we had no subplot this week you know, we didn't have any cuts to Rafi or Worf. I was like, that's interesting. I think that shows how engaging the episode was, is I didn't even notice until like maybe a couple hours later, I was like scrolling through some memes and I was like, oh my gosh, Worf wasn't even in the episode. So I think the emotional moments, you know, they kept us in there, kept coming and it's one banger after another. So I really enjoyed that, especially... You know, after last week, I thought we had a we were going to have a huge drop in action and emotional moments, but I was wrong, obviously, um, because usually I feel like, and this this is just an OPP original. I feel like these new Treks episode follows like an ebb and flow, you know, like a roller coaster. You build up to the climax, you rush down the hill, you get that big action scene or the big reveal, and then you have an episode to recover. And you kind of just, okay, we're going to get our bearings. We're going to recover. We're going to see how we're doing. But I was wrong. You know, there was no recovery episode at all. I mean, in a way it was, but it was an emotional firebomb, this episode. So I was very impressed by that. And we didn't get, you know, the usual ebbs and flows, which I really enjoyed. However, this week we did see a lot of the usual themes that we've talked about in this uh, couple of the reviews the past couple of weeks. Um, You know, fatherhood reconciliation that was definitely at the forefront speaking of those major themes let's kind of deep dive into those emotional moments slash confrontations in this episode that make this whole episode you know stand out in an incredibly amazing season already so specifically with Riker and Picard and Troy so if you listen to last week's episode you remember how I mentioned that Riker and Picard would instantly instantly reconcile because Picard knew Hey, he was out of line in the long run and undermining Riker's authority on the bridge. And hey, that's not cool. And how Riker dressed down Picard in front of the crew as well. And that's exactly what we see from the very first scene between the two of them. When they're finally alone, they're, boy, they're like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. And it's kind of a sweet reconciliation between old friends. And they instantly move on. Because, I mean, I enjoyed seeing that because I've had moments like that between my friends. Like I've had friends that I've known for about 15 years now from college. And, you know, sometimes we get a little spats here and there and it's kind of an instant like, hey, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry too. And there's instant, you know, reconciliation. And I think it's kind of predictable, like we predicted it last week. But again, that's what you kind of want from these legacy characters and these kind of relationships that they have between each other. So after they reconcile, we see Riker and Picard kind of get super heavy and intense which, I mean, makes sense. They're going down into this massive gravity well with no hope of escape. Again, the episode titles, no in scenario. But to me, I really haven't seen that before in Riker 
in any of the previous, you know, TNG seasons or the movies. And we finally get some insight into Riker's mindset and what he's really thinking. So the whole reason, you know, he ran from home and to get away from Troy and, and his daughter was, I, what was the line, Luna, that he thought it was best that I'm not around them? And we learn it's because he has this emptiness and this numbness. That ultimately feeling comes from him knowing there's nothing after death, or according to him, they're knowing there's nothing after death. And that's just it. And I mean, I really feel that that's would be super common for somebody like Riker, especially we know like seeing as much as Riker has seen and all the battles and, you know, he's probably has a form of P- PTSD or another and with all the suffering you get with losing a son and, and he's getting older now. So he's, he's becoming more in tune with his mortality. And, you know, this kind of numbness has created a wedge between him and Troy and, um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of people feel this way. You know, outside of commanding a starship or, you know, going through dozens of battles, a lot of people feel this way. So I kind of like to see a legacy character like Riker, you know, somebody that, you know, if you were a young kid, you you could respect and be like, man, look at his, he's fun, but he's also has a leadership style and he works hard and a role model you could look up to in the nerd world and then find out he struggles with his own beliefs and he struggles with these quote unquote big questions too. And to me, that that makes him super relatable and human, you know, to be like, you know what, even our heroes struggle with things that everybody else does. I really love at the end of the episode that Riker kind of rediscovers his love, you know, for exploration, for the universe, for all this new life. And um, he's talking to Troy. He's like, I haven't heard you talk like that in a long time. And I think that's an awesome kind of in a nutshell, real quick you know, wrap it up in an hour way to show, hey, there is hope. There is kind of an out, you know, this won't last forever. And sometimes you just have to work through these problems and these questions and you'll overcome it. So in a real quick hour, I know that's not like what it is in real life, but in this hour we see Riker overcome that. And I thought that was, um, that was really great. I mean, even the fact that he was like, this is the end, my friend, get your affairs in order, go talk to your, to your son. And it, 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 to me, going back, it, it explains so much from the first three episodes, like him just being so careful and not wanting to be caught in a threatening way with Vatic and really kind of just gives insight into his command decisions that he, I don't know if he has this a more value on life that he's like, OK, there's nothing after this or he has a value that he wants to see his family again, but it really explains his command decisions for the first three episodes and his tendency and hesitancy to make decisions. So I, I, again, writers did a fantastic job. And that said, the more, I mean, the more action oriented aspects of the hour also have a lot to, you know, to add to the episode. They were really great. And if you didn't know, staying in the Riker camp, that this is the second episode in a row directed by Jonathan Frax. And to me, it kind of surprised me because he's on screen a lot. So I feel like it's hard to direct and act at the same time. But he does an like an exceptional job, an amazing job kind of balancing, moving between, you know, emotional beats, you know, these heavy emotional scenes. Then with like giant explosions and tracking down uh, changelings. And can I say like the changelings have gotten really gross 
like when they like when Seven shot the arm off of the changeling and he like gets in liquid form and goes on the wall. It was like super gross. I was like, oh, this is not like that CGI gold liquidy stuff of DS9. But anyway, I digress. Once again, everything Frax did, you know, balancing between the emotional beats and the action, the cinematography and the effects were off the charts. Amazing. So I love to see Paramount Plus. They're not like skipping anything. They're going heavy into the budget, going into the well, lack of pun, you know, unintended, like going into that well, getting out the money and keeping the effects budget and cinematography where it should be for a show like this. So I'm really happy to see that. So moving on again, to keeping with these emotional beats, we see Picard and Jack Crusher. Um, I feel like we needed this ever since we got the revelations. They were both father and son. And I think this is kind of a watershed moment, you know, in the series and in the life of Picard because they needed this. It, it shows such a vulnerability on Picard's part. When Jack asked him, hey, do you, I don't need this man. I don't need this moment and this time between you and me. And Picard just forthrightly says, yeah, but I do. You know, I need this reconciliation. I need this time with you. I need to know you better. I think that's a pretty big moment because we really don't see that too much of from Picard, you know, especially as a strong leadership type for, for him to be just so forthright and emotional right off the beat with his son. I think that's awesome. And it shows the character development and it's something, you know, he's always hidden all of these years, even in this, ep- even in, sorry, this series, he's kind of hidden his emotions from the people around him. So it's really nice to see Picard finally be like, hey, I want to connect. I'm tired of being like this lonesome guy in his vineyard. And also, I, I think there were some funny jokes, you know, like he's like, Jack's like, when did the hair go? And I'm really not a wine guy. And there were some sweet moments from Picard saying, you know, I probably would have named you the same thing. You know, Jack was my best friend after all. And um, ultimately, it's really sad. We learn why Jack never wanted to have a relationship with Picard. And it's because Jack tracked Picard down and Picard was being this braggadocious, you know, larger than life character in front of a bunch of Starfleet cadets and pretty much said, I don't need a family. Starfleet's the only family I need. And then there's a round of applause. And I was like, this is terribly sad. I mean, this is a gut punch if there ever was one. I mean, somebody's like, oh, I don't need a family. I have Starfleet. And everyone's like, yeah. And the guy's like, no, my dad doesn't want me. I'm like, that's like, <laughs> it was a gut punch for sure. I, I Again, Picard was definitely playing into that quote unquote character. So I, I don't blame Jack for not, you know, showing back up into Picard's life, not wanting a relationship with Picard after he said something like that, because that was Picard. He didn't know that was his son. You know, I think if Picard, again, as we learned last week, if he knew he had a son, he would have been a father and he would have been loved to have been a father. But it's totally justifiable for Jack to, you know, not <laughs> not be okay with Picard at that moment and not really want anything to do with him. So moving on to probably the most emotional moment of this episode, we're going to talk about Captain Shaw. Um, And so we finally learned why Shaw had no respect, no candor, like no, I guess, manners towards Riker and Picard when they first met. And that's because, just to recap, Shaw was at Wolf 359. 
Now, if you don't know about Wolf 359 or if you just forget because, you know, I've watched TNG a lot, you may have just forgotten. Wolf 359 is the biggest loss in Federation history. I think over, was it 11,000 people? 11,000 ships. Wow. Okay. 11,000 ships were destroyed when a Borg cube came into the Alpha Quadrant, you know, to Sector 1 on its way to Earth and this Starfleet Armada met it and then got completely wiped out. And that was because Picard or Locutus of Borg was on that cube and the and the Borg used all of his knowledge and experience of Starfleet and Starfleet strategy to completely wipe out this Armada. And I really like how, again, we see the Wolf 359 come back into Star Trek canon. And, and we had this, you know, in DS9 because Cisco lost his wife Jennifer at the Battle of 359, of Wolf 359. And then again, we see Rashaw and his incredible story. So I really like kind of see how this major battle now has ramifications. Because if you think about it, you're like, yeah, we should kind of like the Dominion War. We should be talking about this a lot more than we are in the Star Trek world. And now we definitely are. And, and seeing how the trajectories of these characters are affected by these, you know, major battles and wars is, is kind of awesome to see and great job to the writers. So off the bat, the acting was completely off the charts. I mean, the delivery, the trembling of the hand, the voice. I mean, it was super powerful and really, really impressive. Probably one of the best performances of the season by far. Um, and just to recap, again, Shaw was on the USS Constance and the ship was damaged beyond repair and there was only uh, one life pod left and had 10 seats, but there was 50 people there. And so a lieutenant came down and just started randomly picking 10 people and Shaw was one of those people. We see this huge, you know, like bubble of emotion just burst. And we see that, you know, Shaw's lived with this guilt, you know, of losing his friends and his comrades. And I think there's a line he's like, he says, we were all like family, you know, like you guys are with your bridge officers. We had this camaraderie and it was like losing my family. And he's like, I felt like she made a mistake. And so that shows so much if you unpack it, like he has survivor's guilt and everything that comes with it. I mean, doesn't surprise me because he's, I mean, he's excelled in his career he wants those people's sacrifices to be worth something. So he's climbed the ranks of Starfleet. He's become captain of one of the flagships of the Federation and the Titan. You see him just blow up at Picard and saying, like, look, you ruined my life. And it's because of you, personally you and nobody else that caused this. And I mean, this next moment, this revelation of I've known this, but I haven't really known this Star Trek fact. You know, like the fact that the Borg only named one drone and that was the cutest of Borg. I don't know if the writers of TNG just never expounded upon that. They they meant to have, you know, all the Borgs have names or whatever. But, oh my gosh, he's absolutely right. There's only one name technically given and that's to the cutest. And so that really shows how important Locutus was to the Borg that he's actually named. So great addition by the writers. And I was just completely blown away by that scene. And anybody that watched the episode would definitely agree. I don't think I've ever heard or from any of my friends or any of the reviews I've listened to or watched say they, that that wasn't probably the most powerful scene of the season. However... It was good to see Shaw get that off his chest, but what I was hoping for was Picard to lay into Shaw. 
to talk about how he, you know, I was tortured. I lost every ounce of who I was as a person. You don't think I have guilt, you know, that Picard doesn't have guilt and, and deals with issues of, of leading to those people's deaths and, and destroying families and destroying those. He's like, Picard definitely has issues. So I just think, I mean, what's the line from the TNG trope, Luna, where he goes, oh, this is something I'm going to have to live with and just get over. I just, hopefully we will get Picard, you know, finally unleashing and finally telling about those experiences of the Borg to Shaw so Shaw can see, do you know what? He didn't like this either. He wasn't, you know, a vacation for Picard. And hopefully we get that because the only time we've ever seen Picard do that was when he was like covered in mud, crying to his brother in a vineyard. So I'm just saying. (laughs) Also sticking on Shaw, I think, I mean, suddenly he's kind of turned into this lovable, tortured character me to me. Uh, like when he agrees to take the nacelle covers off and how uh, he sets up Seven to make a trap for the changeling. He, he's kind of a butthole, you know, but I'm starting to like him. Maybe a Titan spinoff one day, you know, with Shaw and Seven. I, I do love the fact that he referred to himself as a dipshit from Chicago because I was like, oh, maybe he's a Cubs fan. Who knows? But... I will say this, Jerry Ryan and Todd Sashwick, Todd Sashwick plays uh, Shaw. I mean, I think they have amazing kind of this antagonistic kind of chemistry with one another. They definitely play off one of one another and they're kind of uh, almost begrudgingly having to work together. The chemistry was great, but over the episode, they slowly develop, you know, this kind of candor and then you see a little bit more into Shaw now after his revelation in the bar it's like oh the reason he doesn't like Seven is because she's a former Borg you know he has a lot of lingering and clearly unprocessed PTSD from Wolf 359 so they I mean they learn that they can work together and I mean what's it Resigue that's what it's called I mean it may be predictable that they eventually get over their differences and and work together but I think that's the kind of story of Star Trek always does really well with is two two people that were antagonistic to one another, overcoming their differences, realizing they have a lot in common, and then getting the job done in the mission complete. So Star Trek definitely excels at that. One of the last items before we get to our big Easter egg section is the changelings. So for as the changelings, you know, the biggest reveal this week is that Vatic herself is a changeling. And she's working for this kind of mysterious, powerful boss who wants Jack Crusher badly enough to send the strike into the gravity well to get him. And he's so powerful that Vatic is terrified of him that she's like, you know what, I'm going to and listen to him and follow him into that gravity well, even if it's certain death. So I don't know if this is a bigger changeling, you know, like of in the leader of the terrorist rebellion sect of changelings or what. Or if it's something bigger, we don't know. And they even referenced that when they discovered that the Changeling is on board the Titan. They're like, oh, this is he's been on the Titan weeks before Picard and Riker show up. So this is something bigger. So I don't know if they're going to try to infiltrate Starfleet or what, but it still remains a, a mystery. And it, plus, can we talk about those strange like flashbacks that Jack experiences at the end of the episode? I mean, it kind of indicates that has a lot more to him. It's not just, you know, Picard's my dad and I'm, I'm struggling with, with dad issues, whatever. It's that, you know, he's been doing something and nobody 
knows yet like the reason why the changelings have interest in him you know could it be he saw something he wasn't supposed to he stole something you know he found a rare like cure for an illness that they can't live without maybe like another disease comes to the great link i don't know they'll definitely get to it in the future episodes but i definitely i think it's weird you know those voices telling him to come and find them but I think it's going to assume, you know, that these answers are definitely going to tie into Rafi and Worf. You know, the answers that Rafi and Worf are chasing will eventually coincide and intersect with, you know, these visions that, that Jack is having. So, I mean, I would definitely love to see more of the Dominion. Like, what are they up to after the end of the war? Uh, why are they chosen this moment, you know, this rogue Dominion sect to go after the Federation? But... We'll see, but I'm, I'm definitely hoping that we'll we'll get that in future episodes, which I have complete confidence in the writers so far for season three. They've done amazing in the first four episodes, so I have no doubt we will be happy with what comes down the pipe. So moving on to everybody's favorite section, of course, is Easter eggs. So um, when I saw the title of this episode come out, uh, No Win Scenario, I was like, okay, this is definitely another tie-in to Wrath of Khan. Because the Kobayashi Maru scenario, quote unquote, the no in scenario, was first introduced in Wrath of Khan. Interestingly, it is a third episode of a new Star Trek series to reference this in an episode title in the past two years. The 2021 Discovery Season 4 premiere was called Kobayashi Maru, while the sixth episode of Prodigy in early 2022 was called Kobayashi. So they're definitely getting their mileage out of the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> Um, also another great Easter egg that we saw when seven was going through the room was that, uh, we saw Valken Kalto and this, it kind of looks like these silvery sticks in a big like bubble. And if you haven't watched Voyager, that's what it is. And it, it's kind of Vulcan chess, but it's like super hard. We also saw Kalto in Picard season one finale um, Rafi and Seven are playing it. And um, again, it originated on Voyager and Seven was very good at it. But it was kind of cool that, okay, she's keeping remnants of her time on Voyager again. So that was cool. Also, Changeling Bucket. They're looking for um, the Changeling Bucket. And it looks super similar to the one Odo had on DS9. And then also we do see a picture of Odo on a pad. Shaw hands to Seven. We see a quote-unquote Changeling report. And it shows a picture of Odo there from Deep Space Nine. So uh, Renee shows up in the episode again. Awesome. The last one is kind of interesting. So Shaw says a line that says, he's like, forget that weird crap on the Stargazer. But he's not talking about the John Luke Picard Stargazer from back in the day. Rather, he's talking about the newer version of the Stargazer that we saw in Picard season two. When Shaw says the real Borg are still out there, what he means is that this nicer version of the Borg we see in the finale of Picard Season 2 are not the only version of the Borg that exists in this timeline. So that means the original version of the Borg Collective is somewhere and intact in the Picard Season 3 timeline. Very interesting. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, Oh, yeah, that's right, Luna. Sorry. Um, also, somebody pointed out to me on Instagram, do you know that when Vadic cuts her hand off, the knife also looks a lot like the knife from Nemesis on the poster? Just something to think about. I don't know if there's any connection. I don't know if we'll get into clones or what. Uh, but just it's, it just seems like a cool maybe uh, tip of the cap 
Who knows? All right. Well, that has been our review on No Win Scenario. Luna, let's roll. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, we're always streaming on, I guess, everything, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. Our episodes are on YouTube as well. We're trying to get that kickstarted again. So it's been great to be back on YouTube. Also, if you want great reviews, please check out www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. That website, again, is www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. Uh, He's covering Mandalorian right now, which is awesome. So I love his humor and insights into the uh, show. So please check out his blog if you'll be so kind. And as always, please take care of yourselves. We're getting into the warmer weather and it's uh, a lot of fun to be outside. But remember, take care of that mental health out there, all you Trekkies. And always remember, guys, second star to the right, straight on till morning.